Hello and welcome to the Home Assistant Podcast. This is episode number 56, and today we're talking about 0.99 and Eric. But for that, as usual, we're joined by Phil. Hey, Phil. Hey, how's it going? Good. And as I mentioned, Eric. How's it going, Eric? Good, how are you? This episode is sponsored by Home Assistant Cloud by Nabucasa. Easily and securely access your local Home Assistant instance remotely for a small monthly fee that also supports the Home Assistant project. The configuration is done by the user interface, so there's no fiddling with router settings, SSL certificates, or any YAML. Whereabouts in the world are you from, Eric? I'm outside of the D.C. area, uh, in the, based in the U.S., about 25 miles or so from the White House. Nice one. Oh, wow. Do you work uh, in the government by any chance? No, no. <laughs> no? <laughs> I, work, I, I work in the pharmaceutical industry, so depending on who you are, the, you know, the second most evil you know, <laughs> place to work. Yeah, that's cool. That's cool. Not evil in my opinion, but depends on who you are. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. Yeah, I guess it pays the bill, right? So it can't be that bad for you. Uh, yeah, it pays the bills and you know what you do actually helps people. So yeah, it's always good. Yeah, no, I hear that. So welcome to the podcast, man. Thank you. We'll talk a little bit about uh, what's going on with you, Eric, in a little bit, but just uh, some of the quick highlights. So Home Assistant, yesterday was the sixth birthday for Home Assistant. So that's kind of cool. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah, I wish I would have joined six years ago. <laughs> right? I know. Yeah, I remember like when I was first deciding whether to use Home Assistant, it was like only a couple of years in. Like, yeah, I'll go Home Assistant. I'm so glad I did, right? Like, it's just in the past, you know, four years or something, it's just crazy. Yeah. Yeah. And also, uh, as Home Assistant gets a little bit older, so does Nabucasa. And they've also just uh, brought on a new employee. Uh, so Bram joins the Nabucasa team to work on Home Assistant. So they'll be working on the front end of Home Assistant. So it'll be good to see another, you know, uh, employee being added to work on to Home Assistant. So uh, if you're paying for a, a Nabucasa subscription, you're directly helping, you know, Home Assistant and, and keeping it independent from corporates that would want to monetize it. So, yeah, thank you to everyone that is supporting Nabucasa and, and Home Assistant. Also, uh, Andrew's Commercial Brewery. So uh, that's powered by Home Assistant. So we've got uh, – we're getting this kind of idea that uh, home automation people really like beer. <laughs> so uh, a couple of episodes ago, we talked about kind of a home assistant powered kegerator. Uh, now we're talking about an actual brewery. So uh, Andrew emailed in to uh, feedback at hasspodcast.io to kind of talk about how he's using home assistant. So um, he's ta- he said that he's a partner and a brewer at a brew pub in uh, Singapore. And, uh, you know, he'd let us know about uh, some of the stuff he's doing. So in his brewery, he's using has.io, ESP Home. And uh, Nabucasa to control and automate all of their tanks and uh, fermenters. And, and apparently that's uh, about 24,000 liters of beer. So it's a lot of beer wow. and that's amazing. So um, he's got yeah. a blog as well. And uh, to talk about kind of what's going on, uh, we'll, we'll, put the, we'll put the link in the show notes. That's really cool. Right? So now we see like commercial uses of home resistant, right? And not even like as a, in a smart home sort of field, right? It's like he's a... A proper like company using Home Assistant to automate their business. Totally, totally. So, um, just looking at the blog, it seems to be pretty detailed about it too. So, here's what I did and such. So check it out. It's uh, it's actually kind of neat. All right. 
uh, 0.99 lands uh, this week. And as part of that, with uh, all the recent changes with Home Assistant and House.io sort of becoming together, uh, last release, the Docker images got updated, so they're all consistent. Uh, House.io now has secret support. So you can now use, uh, and if you're familiar with uh, configuration.yaml and, and the secrets.yaml, there is the ability for you to put passwords and any you know secret information that you don't want necessarily committed in your GitHub repos, you can now uh, use the type of syntax in uh, add-ons. So if you want to have configuration for an SSH server in House.io, you can have that as in a secret YAML file and you can safely commit your other config up to GitHub. That's kind of cool. Also, uh, from a device automations perspective, uh, using the automation editor, now you can uh, select specific devices to create automations. So... Uh, when you're creating it, it kind of makes it easier to kind of say, okay, here's my automations, my conditions, uh, for things like Zigbee buttons and stuff, right? So uh, essentially, because Home Assistant will basically expose all of those uh, as automations, and uh, and now you can use those to uh, use as, use them as specific triggers or, or conditions. I think this is going to be a pretty big change moving forward, and I've seen it in the UI. I'm not sure if it's also available uh, in the YAML, but... You know, right now, if you want to do, for example, an automation when a light turns on, you would have to use the platform state and yes. then, you know, put in the entity ID and, you know, what it did. Now, you sh- in theory, I, if I'm understanding this correctly, I haven't had too much time to play with it, but you can, instead of, you know, doing platform state, you can go, all right, when this device Devices. turns on, do this. Yeah. You know, it, it makes it more human language as opposed to, you know, having to use programming terms like platform state and platform numeric state you can just target the device you want to do and then use it that way yeah exactly and i mean i think i think it uh it, hopefully it helps reduce how large your if you're using yaml how large those automations are and stuff as well so that's uh that's one of the things that i'm struggling with right now is just when i'm trying to figure out what's going on in one of my automations it's like uh, okay let me scroll and scroll and scroll and scroll so hopefully hopefully this helps uh, at least bring it down a little bit so that's specifically yeah. for if you want to automate I would assume it's a device rather than a bunch of devices, unless unless you nest that automation. So yeah, well, I guess you can, an automation could have multiple triggers. So if yeah, the kitchen light yeah, turns exactly. on and the bathroom light turns on, do this. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, but uh, but yeah, to your point, it makes more sense to say, hey, if the kitchen light turns on, rather than saying, hey, if the state goes from on to off and it happens to be my kitchen light, then yeah, right. All right, some other new features. Uh, why things support or withings, however you wish to pronounce it. So they do the um, smart, you know, health products, you know, like the smart body scale. There's now a new integration for Home Assistant, and they're exposed with sensors uh, in Home Assistant, which is strange because they, I've had one of these for ages, and I think they got brought out by Microsoft or Nokia, and they got rebranded to Nokia Health. And I, I believe there was a Nokia Health integration in Home Assistant. I could be mistaken, but now uh, why things are sort of been uh, brought back from Nokia and become independent again. So interesting to see that's come back and now there's another integration for I think so. Very interesting. Interesting. I, I never knew that they got acquired and then uh, and then I guess yeah, divested yeah. again. That's uh, that's actually one of my life goals is to build a company and have Microsoft buy it for billions of dollars and then when they ruin it, I buy it back for like a couple million. <laughs> <laughs> and keep the change, that's right? right? And then resell to, resell to them a few years later for another billion. You know. <laughs> That's right. Or or just keep selling it to different companies. 
You got to grow it just enough for failure. Uh, also, the National Weather Service. So you'll need an API key from the National Weather Service, and uh, then you can pull your local weather from there in uh, into Home Assistant. And probably one of the coolest integrations I've seen uh, this year is the iAqualink pool controller. So uh, this pool controller seems pretty uh, IoT connected. So uh, it's now integrated with Home Assistant, and you can do things like uh, it exposes a climate platform also a light platform so you can turn uh, on and off the lights in your pool and i assume uh, because it's a climate platform you might be able to be able to control what temperature your pool is so if you're got up one of those pool controllers uh i would seriously consider integrating it with home assistant because that sounds awesome yeah that is kind of cool uh so some breaking changes so they're trying to standardize uh the way plex servers uh are connected to to home assistant so when you have logins using a username, password, server name, so on and so forth, that's no longer supported on the Plex sensor platform. So essentially, that's going to move and that's going to get replaced with uh, a UI configuration, which at that point, then there you can actually go in and say, here's my Plex username, Plex password, so on and so forth. So uh, which will then help you kind of authenticate without storing the password directly in your configuration. Yeah, just put that token somewhere. Nice. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So also on top of that, uh, the media player and sensor configurations for Plex, those will be moved into the actual Plex component themselves. And I think we've seen this a lot uh, over the past few releases, things just moving out into their own components. And something else that's happening in this release is uh, the Pi-hole integration. So if you were using a sensor for Pi-hole to track you know, how many ads you've blocked today or anything like that, you will now need to move all that configuration into its own uh, Pi-hole top level entity or integration. Uh, and as part of that, the monitored conditions has been removed. So before you upgrade, if you are using a Pi-hole integration in Home Assistant, just watch out for that one. Yeah. Also, the Jewish calendar sensor is now a platform. So that's moved. So if you're using the sensor, you'll need to update your configuration. And in some other interesting updates uh, in this release, webhooks now support the head and put HTTP methods. So uh, some APIs, for example, uh, the Trello API, They'll need to validate that a URL exists or an API webhook is valid URL and it you know, has a server at the end of it. And they'll use a uh, HTTP head request. If uh, Trello was to do that before this release, so before 0.99, uh, it was Home Assistant would actually fire that webhook each time. Uh, so now Home Assistant will know uh, when it sees that head request that not to do anything and Trello can actually now be activated to use webhooks correctly. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, I guess it's a little yeah. more compliant just in general. Exactly. Yeah, with the REST protocol. Yeah. Also, there's uh, now an ability for template sensors to have custom attributes from a template. So if you're using a template sensor to pull data from other uh, other places within Home Assistant, now you can set up the attributes for those sensors uh, as well using, uh, using the templates. So that's kind of neat. Yeah. Thanks. Organizing and, you know, keeping everything organized nicely, I think. Yeah, yeah. Geolocation services will now display an applicable icon on the map. So, for example, if you have a fire nearby, there will be a little fire icon appearing on your map. Uh, and if there's an earthquake event, there will be the pulse icon from Material Design Icons. So that's a nice little tweak there. Oh, wow. That's that's actually kind of handy too, right? Visually, if you, if you look at the map, you kind of can go... Yeah. Oh, shoot. <laughs> In case you didn't turn on the news that day or, or whatever that is, right? I mean, we've all got those days. So that's uh, that's kind of neat to see. All right. So, Eric, now it's uh, 
over to you. So this is where we get to to grill you. You emailed in to us and said, you know, hey, got a pretty big smart home set up here and I'm, I'm moving it over to, to HomeSense. I think you said you've got over 400 devices from in smart things that you're moving over to Home Assistant. Wow. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, over, I, I've kind of lost count. Yeah. It's <laughs> over 400 at least. That's crazy. Wow. What are you, I mean, I'm just going to start here. What, what are you, what are you using? <laughs> uh, so I, I have a, a, a lot of different devices and uh, the, from a protocol standpoint, it's a mixture of Wi-Fi, ZigBee and Z-Wave. I kind of uh, initially said, I, I'm not going to stick with one or the yeah. other. And, you know, and given the fact that I have over 400, it probably was a good plan because you can only have so many Z-Wave devices. Uh, on a on a network and i'm not sure i'm probably a limit for zigbee but it's it's much higher but uh you know i i started because like i think i heard this several times in past podcasts people started doing holonation because they had a child right and they're trying to you know do whatever they could to protect them yeah so that's kind of where i started you know i wanted to make sure when he opened the door i found out so he didn't just walk out the door yeah yeah and um and then it just kind of ballooned from there and my wife is probably worse than me because she feeds this addiction by complaining about stuff that's not automated. <laughs> so um, I end up just kind of automating as much as I can because of her. So Well, at least she's not the opposite and saying, you know, oh, why have you automated this? Now I can't do, now I can't, you know, do it this way. Yeah, I we've, we've gotten really used to not using light switches or anything. Yeah. So we've kind of gone the, the full automation route where we try to get the house to react to us versus uh, using switches or even the, the Amazon device, I won't say the name. But, uh, you know, so we have yeah. those everywhere, but we rarely ever use them. You know, and actually when I hear my, my wife using it, I realize like, oh, something you know, something didn't work, right? Or there's a gap in my automation here. Yeah. So, but uh, yeah, I've got lots of stuff. Most of my Zigbee devices are from the Lowe's Iris platform. Okay. Just because for some reason, every couple of weeks, Lowe's would just discount everything like crazy. Uh, you know, so, you know, when, when you could get a motion sensor back two years ago for, you know, seven fifty or $6 a piece, yeah. I would just go and buy as many as I could, right? Same thing with the, the plugs, the... Uh, you know, the Ziggy clubs that are also power meters, I would just load up on those. I probably have about 80 or 90 devices in a bin in my basement, not even installed yet. So that would be in addition to the 400 I already have. Wow. Jeez. You know, and that's kind of why I kind of slowed my automations down because I passed not not kind of from a capacity standpoint, what smart things is capable of doing, but they have a hard limit in their smart apps of 300 devices. So, oh, okay. You know, so... I don't know why I didn't notice until I got to like device, you know, four ten or something. But I added a, a new light in my driveway, and I, you know, installed a, a Zigbee switch on it, and um, I went to configure it, and it just wasn't there. And I did some quick research and realized that there's a hard limit of 300 devices, and there's also a bunch of other devices missing. Yeah. And uh, you know, the reason why I think I missed it was you could have a device that was already configured in a smart app and they use some, some ordering to decide what devices show up. And if it was already configured, it still works, even though you can't see that it's added to the, to the smart app. So it didn't kind of remove it from the automation. You just can't see that it's there. Okay. Uh, Interesting. Yeah. So that's probably why I didn't notice until it was too late, but you know, so I tried the whole, like, well, let me do two smart thing hubs. And it works fine, except for it breaks like, uh, you know, the Amazon integration, it breaks the Harmony integration. Yeah. Yeah. 
So I was like, that's not going to work. So uh, I decided to look into other stuff. And I have a, one of the people that I work with uses Home Assistant. And he told me, he's always talking about it. So I, I decided I was going to try it. And you know, so far, so good. But uh, because I have such a large install, I couldn't really figure out what kind of infrastructure I needed to run it on. I figured like, you know, buying a Raspberry Pi 3 may not be a good idea or something. So Yeah, especially with so many devices. Yeah. Yeah, so I just, I didn't want to go through iterations. So I just bought like a, like a regular computer, you know, so I, I built a computer with like a Ryzen 2700X that's so probably way overboard. Wow, for yeah. System. Just a little. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so, and then, you know, installed, uh, you know, Home Assistant. So it's running inside Docker. Um, inside there, so very cool. So, so Hasio is what I'm running, not not the actual Home Assistant. Yeah, wow, that's neat. That's uh, so so. Just uh, for my own knowledge, how are you finding the uh, the scaling of of Home Assistant? So, are all of those devices over now? Are you still kind of doing fifty fifty kind of thing? I have about ninety or hundred already moved. Yeah, and I'm, I was doing it room by room basically, and I also travel a lot for work. Yeah, so I, I haven't been able to finish everything. Um, yeah, I'm actually in the middle of a network upgrade in my house, and that kind of sounds crazy. Also, my my hobbies are like home automation, home networking, home security, that kind of stuff. Yeah, great. And um, so I'm I'm migrating to a new network in the house, and I want to finish that before I finish the uh, home automation migration because I'm not really sure what problems I'll run into if all of a sudden like 90 of my devices switch to a completely separate subnet and that kind of stuff. Yeah. So yeah. Um, I want to get the network upgraded, move uh, HASIO over to the new network, and then basically start moving all the devices over to that new network. Um, you know, so. Yeah. It's, it's going to be a lot of work just repairing, like the ZigBee and Z-Wave stuff, but uh, I'll get there. Yeah I, yeah. I haven't run into any scaling issues yet. It's, you know, it's very fast. It's much faster than smart things, so it's local. Yeah. So, um, you know, especially... The, I have a lot of LifeX bulbs. I have probably 53 or 54 of them. Okay. They're basically instant, you know, on Home Assistant versus like a, you know, one and a half second delay, as you would see with SmartThing. Yeah. Well, you're also, you're on top of the, your platform. Again, your laptop is pretty powerful, or your machine is pretty powerful, right? Uh, yeah. So that yeah. that helps as well. Just Yeah, I I think the thing I'll miss most about there's two things I'll miss most about SmartThing, yeah. which is the fact that you can, you, I mean, I know you can do some Home Assistant, right? But, um, I, I actually maintained several community device handlers for in SmartThings. So like uh, hmm. the LifeX groups device handler. So being able to, to interact with a group of lights as a single device. And uh, so I maintained that. Um, and there's a lot of people who use that. And that was really nice to use. Uh, I used to maintain the Leak Smart sensor until SmartThings came up with their own. And I kind of moved on from that. There's a few other ones. but uh, And then WebCore. Ron, I think you're the one who uses smart things also, right? But yeah. Well, yeah. Ish. Yeah. I, I, I use it as a radio at this point, but yeah. 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 So, um, web core is just super powerful. Yeah. It's so easy to use to configure automations. Yeah. It's so easy to debug. And I had a lot of retraining my mind on how do I build automations in home assistant? Cause it's not the same as web core. Yeah. And, uh, I kind of went directly to the no red path. On Home Assistant, okay, I didn't mm-hmm. use the configure or the automations directly in Home Assistant, so that was also had some. I had to think differently, also, right? So every once in a while, I was like, I, I, I know I can build this automation in like three seconds in WebCore, yeah, and it's taking me like thirty minutes here, and I'm trying to figure out what's going on. But 
I'm really just more concerned about the scale. So I'll, I'll take the pain of relearning stuff and doing things differently. Um, yeah. Scale. And, and, and as you use it more often and as you start doing that, that kind of thing, it, it becomes quicker. Right. Um, and I'm, I'm sure it was the same with uh web core as well. Just, uh, there's a bit of a ramp up time always, right? Unless you already knew it beforehand. Yeah. I, I was using web core from day one. I was in on like the beta of that to provide a lot of feedback. So yeah, it's, it's a little unfair comparison because I was like from the beginning just kind of went all the way up and this full capability. So yeah, fair enough. So if you're using smart things now as your radio for Z wave and, and all your Zigbee devices, do you have, uh, are you going to be migrating them over to another hardware device to integrate them into home assistant? Or will you be using, like Rohan does, use smart things as just a, a hub to those devices? Yeah, I'm, I'm generally a pretty binary person. So I actually am not doing what Rohan's doing. I, every time I move a device to home assistant, I remove it from smart things yep. and I add it to yep. home assistant. So, uh, I bought the, uh, Nortec, you know, USB stick that does Zigbee and Z-Wave. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've had no issues with that uh, so far. And okay. It was pretty straightforward. I, I thought I was going to spend like a weekend trying to get it to work based on some of the stories I've seen on the internet. And it was like five minutes. Yeah. 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 I, I actually yeah. went through something similar. So I uh, I fired up, I was talking about this a couple of episodes ago, but I, I fired up my own, uh, one of my old Raspberry Pis. And basically I'm using that for all my Z-Wave. So I've moved most of my Z-Wave devices over and now... Zigbee, I probably should move over. I just I haven't been bothered to do it yet. So yeah, the Zigbee integration is actually a little nicer than the Z-Wave because as you're pairing the Zigbee devices in Home Assistant, it kind of pops up. Yeah. In the UI versus Z-Wave, you have to kind of you have to just check like did it actually add it, and you can watch the log or something. Yeah. Mm. So you kind of get more of that experience I was used to with smart things where I could just take my phone, be, you know, on the other side of the house, add a device and I would see it pop up on the screen and I added it, right? And uh, know that it was successful. You could do the same thing with Z-Wave. It's just extra steps. It'll look harder. Sure, sure. Yeah. That's uh, actually, actually, that's probably a good uh, point of improvement, right? If you go back to the community with that going, hey, like, why is it easy on one side and harder on the other? And and, and the honest answer is it's just they probably just haven't gotten around to it. But that's uh, that's good feedback though, right? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think if, if you're trying to drive more consumer adoption, which I'm not sure that's the target audience right now for Home Assistant, that's something that would be important. But um, for sure, you know, for me, it's, for me, it's like I can deal with it, right? I'm pretty, I'm very technical. I've written a lot of code in my life, and I can figure out why stuff's not working. Yeah, it's okay for me. But, you know, my I have friends that are like, oh, I'll switch to Home Assistant because you like it so much. I'm like, I, you know, I don't want to spend my weekends helping you, so just stay with Smart Things. Yeah. yeah, that's funny. Yeah. So if you've got 400-odd devices in your home, I'm guessing a lot of them uh, are sensors. What's the craziest thing you have added a sensor to? So I, I mean, the craziest thing is probably I put a pressure mat in a couch cushion in our family room. That's uh, awesome. Because my wife likes to, likes to read, and when she reads, she doesn't like the you know things in the room changing. She wants the lights to, you know, like turn off all the lights, but turn, make sure that the lamp where she's sitting is on yeah yeah and don't have other stuff happen so uh basically it's, it was it's animation like you know if it's after seven o'clock and this pressure mat is this contact is closed that's connected to a, a, like a big b contact sensor with dry contacts and um uh then you know dim the light and turn off the automations in the family room right and and then when you know yeah. when, when she gets up and you know when it's open for longer than 30 seconds then turn everything back on right kind of thing uh that's probably the kind of the craziest one but you know my favorite 
automation types are ones that are based on power usage. So okay, not not really monitoring power. I do that every actually every morning. I get like a daily power report email that says you know your water heater uses much power, your yeah. humidifier uses much, you know all this stuff that I can check for irregularities. Right? Is that from Smart Things or Home Assistant? It's currently from Smart Things. I haven't migrated my power monitoring uh, capabilities yet. Yeah. And yeah. the re- reason is because I, I want to dive into like the Grafana and all that other stuff. And yeah, totally. It's just like a whole other can of, whole other can of worms. I, I probably need a weekend to figure out. So. Yeah. Hey everyone. I just wanted to take a minute to talk about the Eufy video lock. It's a smart lock. That's really easy to set up with just a Phillips screwdriver and no extra drilling. It's got a keyless entry. So you don't need to worry about fumbling with the keys when your hands are full. Also, you don't need to worry about handing out extra keys when you're in a pinch, your kids losing them, or people copying the key and passing it around to each other. Something else I like about the Eufy Video Lock is that it has a camera built in and it works as a doorbell as well. Personally, I think the Eufy Video Lock is great for apartments or cottages where you can't necessarily add extra holes for a video doorbell. My favorite part about it though is that there isn't a monthly fee and your recordings are locally stored, so you don't have to worry about someone else owning your doorbell data. You can find it on Amazon, or if you want to know more, search Eufy Video Lock, that's E-U-F-Y Video Lock, or visit eufyofficial.com slash video lock to see how you can gain complete control of your door. It's easy to figure out. It's just a time suck because then you start going, oh, what if I can do this and this and this and correlate this? And, and yeah, I've, I've been yeah. I've been down that rope for several things. Right. But uh, my wife and I, we watch a lot of TV. Uh, so like these are the power, the power monitoring automations that we use, things like this, where, uh, we'll go to, we'll, we'll go to bed and we'll, I'll, you know, I'll turn on the TV. And so the automation is like, Hey, if it's, you know, after eight thirty, and the power of the TV goes above 65 Watts, um, and the master bedroom door is closed, uh, you know, go ahead and start to dim the lights. So I have like a light that huge light that strip in my bedroom that lights up this wall. And uh, it says, go ahead and start dimming that slowly over like the next 300 seconds uh, from where it currently is down to like 15%, you know, set the color temperature to the proper color temperature. And uh, also I have a backlight on the TV to start dimming that up, you know, to, from zero to where it's supposed to be. Yes. And then, so then it prepares the room to watch TV while we're in bed for like a half hour, 45 minutes. And then when I turn the TV off, it's, a, it's basically the automation is if the power was above 65 and has now dropped below like 30, like over three minutes, start dimming the lights down to zero and turn the fan on to low, uh, you know, and that kind of stuff to prepare the room to go to sleep. Yeah. Right? So it goes slowly. That way you can, you can still like make sure your alarm set and all that other stuff. And, you know, so we do a lot of automation based on power usage to determine what we're doing because it's usually I'm using a computer or I'm watching a TV or, you know, or something like that. Or, um, yeah. you know, we have like a jetted tub in our master bathroom. So if that's using power, I know that somebody's in the tub, right. Using it or if it's, mm-hmm. you know, uh, that kind of thing. So lots of automations based on power usage. I think that's probably in my experience, the most overlooked sensor to base intelligence off of. Right now, they're expensive sometimes, but I just have, like I said, I have like probably like 70 of those Lowe's Iris plugs that have power monitoring built into them. So I use that for most of them, but I do have some of the other ones that go inside of your electrical panel as well. Yeah. Or or do you have any passive ones or anything as well? Like the ones that have like the clamp uh, where you just stick it around the wire? Yeah. So we have those 
in the clamped around wires in the electrical panel. Yeah. Um, I actually bought my first Shelly device a couple of weeks ago because I wanted to convert my garage door opener from the Z-Wave one that I use a smart thing yeah. to a much faster, more responsive like Wi-Fi one. So I did that with a, a Shelly one. Cool. Okay. So, yeah. That's neat. So, so it sounded like you're using uh, power for a bit of presence as well. So like, like you use the example of your tub, right? Hey, somebody's in, in, in the tub and blah, blah, blah. So, uh, what other kinds of uh, presence do you use? Yeah. So for room-based presence, it's, it's really kind of power usage and motion sensors yeah. in, in most cases. Uh, this automation is still set up in smart things, but I will be moving it to home assistant. You know, at the end of the night, um, I have motion sensors in my stairwell, so mm-hmm. I can tell what direction you're moving in um, nice. when you go up or down the stairs. Yeah. And so basically at any point after 8.30 at night, if you walk upstairs, an automation will kick off and say, hey, check like all like 30 of these motion sensors in the first floor and in the basement and like these 15 power monitors, you know, that kind of thing. And as long as they're all no, mo- you know, inactive, no motion, and below a certain amount of power usage, then you must have gone to bed, right? You must have gone upstairs right. to go to bed. And uh, what it does, it just checks to make sure that they stay that way for like two or three minutes. And then if that's the case, it just turns everything off, puts the house like into secure mode, and you know you're done. So that's that's kind of a little bit of a presence thing to tell that we've left the first floor and in the basement and have gone upstairs for the night to bed, right? And, um, you know, and if you're still downstairs moving around, like if I go up, my wife's in the kitchen, you know, filling her water or something, it just goes, all right, well, it's still, there's still activity. So I'm just going to wait a few more minutes and then check again. Yeah. It does that for like 15 minutes and then it just gives up after that. And then the next time somebody walks upstairs, it just starts over and tries to turn everything off again. So that's, um, we, so most of my room-based presence is through motion sensors or power. It's the same thing, like in my office, you know, if, uh, if I turn my TV on, which I primarily only used for gaming, yep. play Xbox. It knows like to, you know, dim the lights and turn the fan on and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then when the TV goes off, it knows, you know, to undo all that stuff. But, um, yeah. So that's kind of uh, cool. overall presence. I use the phone, right. My phone to tell whether I'm home or not. Yeah. And I actually haven't, this has been one of my pain points in home assistant is finding something that worked as nice as what I had in smart things. I do like the fact that I can pick like 10 different things to act as a presence sensor. Yeah. And do some, you know, logic, logic with the, you know, the Bayesian sensor and other things to figure that out. But, you know, Adrian, the guy who wrote WebCore, who actually now works for smart things, he built a companion app for your mobile phone that gave you a lot of the zoning features that you have in home assistant. Yep. You know, you can say like, here's work, here's whatever, here's, you know, and it, it worked almost basically all the time. Yeah. Right. Perfectly. And, uh, I haven't quite found the same thing with Home Assistant yet. So, have you tried the the Home Assistant app or something like Own Tracks? Uh, I've tried. I use the Home Home Assistant app. I also have the beta of the yeah. version, mm-hmm. and I haven't really tested the beta version yet to see if it does better with Presence. I kind of put the Presence stuff on pause while I do some other things. Sure, uh, I'm sure that it might be better in that case. I started, I tried using Life360 a little bit, but I didn't really, um, I, I didn't, I didn't spend a whole lot of time with that either, right? It's kind of one of those things where I will, I'll get, you know, the, I'll get to the presence thing at some point in the future, just because there's so much to do. And it wasn't like, sure. it didn't just kind of work out of the box. So I'll have to figure that out. 
but yeah 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 i find the beta the beta app gives you compared to the regular one it gives you more kind of a ton more information as well so you'll notice especially if you're in ios it'll it'll ask for more it'll ask for like health data and this and that and the reason it's asking for that kind of stuff is so that you know it can determine hey what direction are you walking what so so there's there's some cool stuff in there uh that may be that may be worth checking out and uh, i find that it's actually so i used to use uh the smart things uh app specifically for presence as well right so i used to keep that yeah. on my phone and uh you know enable location have it up in the background so on and so forth i found that was amazing until um robbie dropped the ios app and and we had him on the show one episode a while ago and and we were we were chatting and i was like and and I think a few weeks prior, I had just flipped over and I was like, man, this is this is amazing. Right. Like and uh, so I found that it was a lot quicker and there, there was a lot more uh, stuff behind it. And, and the beta app is actually actually pretty decent. Now, I'm saying that as my my location, my presence is broken on it. But um, I think that's just something I'm doing that uh, that's that's causing it to break. Yeah, I am. Um, I think actually what happened was I. I switched over to, I wanted to do some customizations. I ended up having to switch over to the, you know, UI Lovelace.yaml versus just configuring stuff through the UI. Yeah. And what actually happened was the the page that has all of my presence sensors on it went away. And um, I haven't had a chance to rebuild it through the YAML yet, which I think that's actually why I kind of paused fixing the presence sensors because I started focusing on everything else, like creating cool graphs for power monitoring and, you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but, uh, yeah, cause I actually was just clicking here saying like, I wonder if it says I'm present now or not. And it's, I'm like, oh yeah, it's not even there. Cause I, I don't have it configured to even look at it anymore. I'll, I will be doing that. It's just, there's a lot to do. Right. So, yeah. That's kind of cool. Yeah. The biggest thing that I am frustrated about with home assistant and I don't, I think it's like one of these things I'm like, oh, these home assistant people are crazy. What's up with the, the fans? Like in smart things, I can create, I can take a fan, like a ceiling fan and say, put this fan to 42%. Right. And I can't do that with Home Assistant. It's low, medium, or high. And it's like, my wife's like, I don't want medium. And I don't want low. I want that spot in between. Right in between. Interesting. Yeah. I, so I've never actually played with the fan components. So that's uh, that's actually kind of... Are you sure? Because I have the um, the the Dyson uh, Airblade just behind me. And I'm pretty sure I can set that to... That has a, a range of like, 1 to 10 I can set that to anything I, I like. I, yeah. I'm pretty sure it would depend on the type of fan integration that it is. Yeah, so all mine are like or Zigbee or sorry, Z-Wave fan controllers that are right. kind of in the in the wall plate. And you know, the when I look in the forums and stuff, I there's other people have asked this question. I'm not the first, but there's not many. And it's always like, well, you know, most fan controllers just do low, medium, and high. And when you look at the fan integration or uh, platform, sorry, it kind of just that's it. It's just low, medium, and high. And so I can't, you know, pick that spot in between. And if it was, you know, with smart things, you could just say, okay, I'll accept that, but I'm going to go into like the device handler and say, well, low is 40% and medium is 55%, right. high is mm. 70%, right? And uh, it's not not that straightforward with Home Assistant, but yeah, I'll, you know, that's not, you know, none, there's nothing here that's a deal breaker. The fact that I can add, probably add all my devices and use them all is the key, right? It's just... Um, yeah, that's just one of the things I, I'm like, my wife's like, you can do all this crazy stuff, but you can't like set the fan to 40%. And I'm like, that's interesting. Oh. Yeah. yeah. It, it wouldn't surprise me if that is a limitation on the OpenZ-Wave library, which Home Assistant uses. It could be. 
Yeah. Like, because I've noticed a few things um, where, you know, uh, I, I'm using a Vera light controller because I just, there was some Australian Z-Wave stuff here that just wouldn't work with Open Z-Wave. So I went out and just got it to do it that way. So there might be, you know, some restriction there with Open Z-Wave, you know, where they restrict, you know, all fans have to be low, medium or high. And there might be a configuration in the XML that you can go in and, and adjust what they are. Or there may even be a service against the Open Z-Wave library that you can call. Maybe you can set like a, a node property against that fan. And I'm maybe yeah. if you, I'm, I'm just thinking out loud, so I have no idea if this would, if this is even possible. You could create a light in Home Assistant that would then call that service. So you know you could say you know turn on fan light to fifty percent. And it would then call that Z-Wave service to then go out to the node and set the fan to 50%. It would look like a light to, you know, the Amazon Echo and on the UI, but it would underneath it, it would actually be controlling the fan's percentage. Yeah, that's interesting. I haven't thought about, like, targeting yeah. specific node within um, the device. So that's probably something I'll look at. And that, honestly, that's also one of the things that's much different than SmartThings. SmartThings is like, you know, you add a, a sensor and all of its actual properties are, are like, part of a single sensor. Right. So when I say in SmartThings I have 400 plus devices, it's you know it's literally 400 physical things, and I, I imagine that when I add those to Home Assistant, I'm going to end up with you know like 1500 or 1800 oh, actual yeah. entities, uh, sensors know. and yeah. stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I actually didn't think about targeting uh, you know the specifics within the Z-Wave device. I'll have to look at that today. Actually, I, I um, yeah, that's something I'll, I'll take a look at that. Yeah, the, the other thing, I'm not sure if it's possible with Z-Wave. I know in Zigbee, you can you can change the device classes, right? So uh, kind of like what Phil was saying, uh, where, hey, use this binary sensor actually as a water leak detector, right? So it's like, so it goes from zero or one or on or off to now wet or dry and like like that that kind of thing, right? So there's a little, little more... Yeah. Uh, and, and you might be able to change the class of that sensor as a whole to have it a little more um, granular. I'm, I'm not sure. So. Oh, I didn't know you could do that. I'll have to look up how, how to do that. Um, yeah, I, I've, I've done it through the UI in, uh, in, my, in my Hazio instance uh, where I'm running uh, Zigbee on there. So, like, again, my, most of my sensors, I actually got a bunch of uh, SmartThing sensors uh, for super cheap on, I don't remember, it's like Black Friday or some of that. And, uh, or it was, I think it was Amazon Prime Days, but Best Buy, because Amazon effect, right? Everybody's now having a sale because Amazon's having a sale. And I uh, got a, yeah. picked up a bunch of those sensors. And a lot of them actually come in as uh, as generic sensors. And you can just go in and change the class on them. And now they each, each and, and that happens on a per sensor basis, not on a per device basis. Um, but, but yeah, you can change it up and it'll say, you know, again, something, something small, like, Hey, this, I can say, yep, it's still a binary sensor, but it's no longer a generic sensor. It's now a motion sensor or a water leak detector or, or what have you. So it gives you a little better results and a little more consistency as well in terms of just in your logic, you're saying, Hey, is it wet? Is it dry? Not, is it on or off? Right? Like if, if that makes any sense. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. But I just want to clarify that there aren't. So the device class is used for the interface. So, for example, if you have a uh, motion sensor, the in your YAML, you still have, you know, motion sensor goes to on or off because it's a binary sensor. You don't do motion detected or clear. 
into a YAML file. That's a good point, actually. You're right. You're right. So, yeah, it, it updates the UI, but it don't... Yeah, sorry. Yeah, that's my mistake. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Hmm. I'm, I'm sure there's a way around that, though. There's... Yeah, uh, I'll figure it out. Yeah, I've seen yeah. people use templates for stuff like that, but... Hmm. I don't know if that'll really solve your... I think in a couple of releases ago, there might have been a uh, template fan or template climate platform that was added where you could actually, you know, call different home assistant services to do things. So that's where you might be able to create a fan entity that, you know, goes ahead and calls, you know, that Z-Wave service to set the fan at that particular temperature. Yeah, because like right now the fan platform... The set speed only takes low, medium, and high. It doesn't take a percentage. Yeah. But and like even on the actual controller in the wall, I can only do low, medium, and high. But I can, but I can send it a message that, you know through smart things and set it to a different percentage. And um, one of the other things that's really nice about being able to do that with a fan is um, in smart things they have somebody wrote a device handler for their you know, ceiling fans, and matter no matter what speed you set it to, uh, it sets it to high first, and then after about ten seconds, it takes it down to the setting you wanted. It. Because when you set a fan, at least here in the U.S. on low, you get like that annoying fan whine at first. Yeah. Oh, like it doesn't have enough yeah. to start moving, right? And so it's kind of struggling to start moving. Uh, and it's also bad for the fan. So uh, that device handler says, okay, well, go to high immediately, give it as much power as it needs to start moving, and then take it back down to low after 10 seconds. And um, that way you don't, you, know, you don't get that fan whine when it starts up. Interesting. Uh, which is pretty cool. But, you know, it's like first world problems, you know, it's like... Uh, well, it, it, it's good. You're, you're. I mean, at the end of the day, I'm, to your point, it's probably not great for the motor to do that, right? So it's um, give it what it wants, essentially. Yeah. If I was to solve that problem in, in Home Assistant and I didn't want to go ahead and I just wanted to do it you know, in YAML, I would create an automation that would watch for the fan to turn on. Um, and then uh, it would go and see, all right, you've put it on a low setting. So it would save that as a variable. It would then turn the fan on to full temperature, uh, to full speed, and then, you know, put a delay in for 10 seconds and then set it back to whatever it was originally set to. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, that's exactly how I would do it now, too. That's right, though. Sorry, you asked earlier about the craziest automation I've ever done, and I mm. actually forgot probably the most intricate and interesting automation. And uh, Phil, you and I have been chatting a little bit about cryptocurrency, so I thought you might yeah. think this is interesting. Okay. So I used to do a lot of uh, cryptocurrency mining. I still do a little bit now, but I had a large mining farm in my basement with, you know, around 100 graphics cards running 24 hours a day. Wow, jeez. Uh, you know, spending you know, $1,000 plus a month on electricity, you know, to mine. And when I first started, it kind of was a full-time job almost, you know, keeping this stuff running. And uh, I actually used Home, or not Home Assistant, but SmartThings, but... Um, you could do the same thing with home assist. Actually, you could do a lot more now that I know what I could do. But, you know, I would each each mining rig had its own API that would tell you kind of the hash rate it's running at and that kind of stuff. And so basically I had automation set up for each one of those that would say, hey, every minute, check what the hash rate is. And if it's below a certain amount, um, you know, send a message to the OS to kill the software and restart it, right? And if after five minutes, if the hash rate doesn't come back up to where it's supposed to be, um, send a message to the OS to reboot. And after five minutes, if the hash rate doesn't come back up to where it's supposed to be, you know, actually physically power off the miner, you know, using a smart plug that they're all plugged. Each one was plugged into a smart plug. Mm -hmm. So it went from having to kind of deal with two or three crashes a day to not having to do anything ever because the automation system would just take care of it. Yeah. And, uh, you know, when, when mining was really profitable, I used to get really kind of distressed when stuff wasn't working, you know, cause it's like, Oh, you know, if that, 
isn't working, I'm not making $100 today off that thing I was planning on making, right? So right. I even had it like after it would go through that process, if it still doesn't come back, then wake me up. Like if I was sleeping, go ahead and wake me up so I can go down. Wow. <laughs> wow. I was like, I was on call for my own data center. It was crazy, right? And uh, That's funny, yeah. <laughs> A completely self-healing mining rig in your basement that would wake you up if it was not happy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So and then I kind of went further where I wrote all these PowerShell scripts. I actually created virtual devices within, within my automation system so I could switch from like mining one coin to another based on just clicking a button in the app. Okay. You know, so I could say, you know, right now I'm mining Ethereum and I can click a button and it would start mining like Monero. Uh, you know, so it would send a message to the server and it would say, hey, kill this mining software and start this other software. And uh, so that was always pretty fun. That's cool. Um, to do, yeah. You know, and I also had controlled the fans in the room based off of the temperature. Yeah, yeah, because I'm sure the rooms got pretty mm. heated. It got hot, but I was telling Phil earlier, like when it comes to mining and running it like a business every penny counts right so sure. in the evenings when it would get cooler outside i didn't have to run the fans as much because the air was already cooler so yeah I had, crack open a window know, Seven thousand cubic feet per minute fan sucking air into the room from outside and i could i could lower it to three thousand right because it was cooler right and then same thing with the outtake fan on the other side of the room um, i could lower that so based on temperature of the room i could i could save money yeah, um, by lowering the span speeds and that kind of stuff. So it was a, it was a lot of fun. Uh, it was like a, I didn't do it right away, but I was like I, I you know I apply automation to everything else, and I was just getting annoyed with having to take care of stuff. Yeah, like, I could fix this right, and um, yeah, so it was a lot of fun. That's cool. That was probably that was probably my biggest like orchestration right when I started getting down to being able to switch coins and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty neat. That is very cool. Yeah. You could have sold your uh, sold your basement off as a as a uh, cloud service. <laughs> yeah, we we actually used it uh, for a few winters to heat the house. Like it was like having an eighty thousand oh. BTU furnace in the basement. Absolutely, it was. Right. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> um, yeah, that's it, funny. It, yeah, you. And so you're, you're based in Australia. I can't convert this to Celsius off the top of my head, but it was like I'd walk in on a daily basis. It's like 110 degrees Fahrenheit in that room. Oh, wow. That's, yeah. that is hot. That's roasting. Yeah. So that's about 43 yeah. degrees that's uh, Celsius. In the 40s, so. yeah. 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 So with, I actually, I spent some time talking to like, you know, HVAC people trying to figure out the most efficient way to cool because, Again, every penny counts. Sure. And some people buy air conditioners and things like that. And the advice I got was don't buy an air conditioner. Just keep the air moving in and out, right? You know, try to um, seal the room off from the rest of the house so you're not cooling cooler air yeah. from the places you live into this room so that you can just, you know, suck it out the window. And uh, so I, you know, I sealed the room very well and I had, uh, you know, negative pressure in the room. So it was basically... The outtake fan was actually at a, a higher rate than the intake. Yep. So it was always cooling more out than I could put in. And if I did that and had like a, a lot of air holes to the rest of the house, it would start sucking cool air from the rest of the house into that room. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, you had to be very careful about how you did it to optimize and, you know, make as much, uh, spend as little on electricity and, you know, that you could and, uh, you know, still kind of have this thing be a profitable venture. Right. And then, 2017, you know, this was no problem. It was like, yeah, yeah. If I lose five dollars, who cares, right? And but in 2018 and 2019, it was like, uh, 
yeah, I'm, I'm spending, you know, $1,200 a month on electricity and I may be only pr- making $1,300 with crypto. Right. right? So, yeah. you know, your profit margin is starting getting smaller and smaller. Uh, and you wanted to make sure that uh, you got every penny you could. So, so I, you know, so yeah, so smart things and, and home automation in general just kind of uh, helped a lot there right? with that. That's cool. And I'm guessing you would have had sensors to track, you know, how much you're producing and all that, and you would be able to graph that in smart things or, or um, if not, you'd be able to do it soon in Grafana. Yeah, I didn't do it. I didn't do a whole lot of that. I didn't, um, the pools that you use to, for mining, um, if you don't, if you don't know a lot about it, basically it's hard to find to mine on your own. Mm. So it's better to kind of group up with a bunch of people and do it together yeah. and share the reward. So the, the pools that you would do that in it, uh, it actually tracked a lot of that for you. So you didn't have to do your own stuff, but I did use a smart app that logged my energy usage to Google docs. So I could, um, use that as part of my taxes, right? That's an expense. So I was able to track oh, like, right. on a machine level how much electricity I was using. So I could say, well, our electric bill this month was, you know, four hundred and eighty dollars. And I know that four hundred and twenty of that was from these mining rigs and the rest of it came from just the rest of the house, right? So uh so I did use that. Okay. That kind of stuff. Yeah. Well that's handy. Yeah. yeah. Pay pay your taxes. You don't want the government coming after you later. That's right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, that's I'm right. Listen. No, that's that's awesome. I think that the question I get asked most from people uh, is, "What are you going to do if you ever move?" And uh, it's it's all coming with me. Yeah, yeah. I, I I know some people say like a smart house sells for more money, but the the amount I spent on all those devices, I'm not going to get back in as part of selling the house. So no, it's all coming with me. I keep telling my wife that it's like we don't plan on moving, but like if we move, uh, it's all coming. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I saved all the old switches and all the old dimmers and you know all light bulbs and everything. It's just you know uh, I've got them, so it's all coming with me. It'll take a week, but it's coming with me. And then you don't have the risk of you know you move house and you've left someone with a very unique house that they may not know how to operate, and then your right. tech support. Well, exactly yeah. right. Then you start charging them. <laughs> yeah, actually, when I moved a few years ago here, we you know the the nest stayed at that house and i actually had the guy like email me for a week asking me questions about how to configure the nest i'm like come on man yeah Uh, yeah it's like the easiest device on the planet you know (laughs) yeah but that's fine actually battery management is the biggest issue when you have this many devices true that's a big problem yes uh as a renter with a lot of battery devices um yes it is i am in the process of moving uh, as much as I can to rechargeable batteries just because I'm sick and tired of having to buy batteries every few months. But even then, just having to go around and um, take them out and, you know, yeah. fix them up and then you've got button cells, different types of batteries. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't had a lot of success with rechargeable batteries and home automation devices. But I did, uh, we have four, four Z-Wave blinds in our family room because they're behind like the couch and furniture. So they're really hard to open manually. So I, I yeah. you know, got Z-Wave ones. And those use each one uses like eight AA lithium ion batteries, oh. and it would it would go through each one would go through eight batteries every couple of months, and it was just getting oh, really no. so I so I actually hardwired those into like a security camera power supply. Okay, and I don't have that problem. And oddly enough, I I got locked out of my house the other week because my smart lock uh, battery died, and so I kind of said never again. And I I'm actually in the process of hardwiring the smart lock 
uh, to a power supply. So I know it sounds kind of crazy, but I'm, I found a way to do it and I'm doing it. So I'll, I'll, I'll post some pictures in it in the discord or something so you can at least see what i'm doing that's cool yeah yeah that, that's but, cool yeah. yeah oh wow um so, so yeah. do you have one of those locks that you can put the battery like the nine volt battery underneath to get a, some emergency power in to open it up the door no so the the way i'm doing it is basically i actually i like to do a lot of home renovation so we bought a fixer yeah. over and uh so what i basically did was i bought a whole new door it's the door that goes from the kitchen to the garage um, so I bought a whole new door and door frames that I'm going to put in because it just needs, I need a new one anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, I, I got a long drill bit and I basically drilled a hole from one side of the door, like the long way, not, not, not the, like where it's an inch and a half thick, but from like yep. 36 inches from left to right. Uh, and I ran a wire in that direction, uh, into the door frame and it's going to go down the side of the outside of the door frame. So you can't even see it because it's going to be in the wall into the basement where I'm going to have uh, a battery backup and um, it plugged into the wall down there to power. The That's door. cool. That's kind of how I'm doing it. And then basically you just, you just make sure that your power supply is the same kind of amperage and voltage uh, that the four double a batteries would provide. Yep. Know? Right. So right. I've already wired it up and it works fine. I just have to install the door now. So. Wow. That's kind of cool. Yeah. That's uh that's the, it's a lot of work, but it's, uh, I'm sure, I'm sure it's rewarding at the end of the day. Right. So yeah, it'll, I'll, it's kind of like never again. Will I get locked out? Yeah. 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 Like, yeah. How do you plan on taking that door with you to the next house? <laughs> uh, that door will, will probably stay, but the smart lock will, will, will go. I don't know. We'll see. I might leave that one device just because, you know, it's cool. The person can yeah. use it, but yeah, yeah. Yeah. Eric, thank you so much for taking the time. Um, good luck going around and clicking all those buttons when you're repairing those devices that's not going to be fun (laughs) yeah thank you thanks cheers guys see you guys later cheers if you want to share your home assistant journey or come on as a guest reach out to us at feedback at podcast.io that's h-a-s-s podcast.io The Home Assistant Podcast is hosted by Phil Hawthorne and myself, Rohan Karamandi. For links to topics that we discussed today, check out our show notes on haspodcast.io.